0: a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risk and lead the world into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the principal of Adamantine Energy. Everyone in oil and gas is facing massive disruption. And as our seasoned listeners know, we are focusing on talking to game-changing leaders who are responding by becoming disruptors themselves. Now, who are they? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? That's what we're finding out together on this season. And today I have a great show for you. I speak with Anthony Oney. He's managing partner of the Elevate Future Fund at Energy Impact Partners. So they're a global investment platform focusing on the energy transition. And this is the first time I brought someone from venture capital on to the show. But Anthony is really a lot more than uh, just an investor because he spent more than 20 years working in the utility industry as an executive. So there's so much to learn about Anthony. You can read his biography in the show notes. And we talked today about so many important things about the role that investment plays in creating enduring prosperity, racial equity, and justice, diversity, inclusivity, and accelerating the energy transition. So you can learn more about the Energy Thinks podcast and our work at adamantine at energythinks.com. Now please enjoy my conversation with game-changing leader, Anthony Oney. Anthony Oni, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast.
1: Hey, Tisha. I'm so glad to be with you today and appreciate you giving me a platform to talk about what I'm doing now.
0: Well, you have such a unique seat. You're an investor who's worked in industry. And I would love to know, from your perspective, what do you think companies need to be doing as we transition to net zero? What does the, that look like from your seat? You no,
1: know, I'll give you my, my view from a utility perspective, where I've Spent the last 20 years more coming to the venture capital space. So I think it would be good to start from what has been done already. And so if you think mm-hmm. about the last two decades or so, well before this really hyper intense focus on the E of ESG that we see today, most utilities had already begun transitioning to you know, a lower reduced emission profile. Now, they achieved this through numerous control technologies, mostly in coal facilities, things like scrubbers and other carbon capture technologies. But in more recent years, we are seen utilities that have begun to go a step further. You know, they're decommissioning their coal fleets, increasing renewables, and have put in place these 2030, 2050 targets to essentially become, you know, low to no carbon net zero utility. So I think it's important to know that utilities have been working on this. They they have a plan and, and they have a path uh, to net zero. What we do need to see more of is not only the continued decarbonization of generation fleets, but I think more decarbonization of non-generation operations within these utilities. You know, things like electrifying the vehicle fleets or reducing emissions mm-hmm that are associated with transmission distribution, especially on the natural gas supply chain side, and focusing on a more resilient and more reliable networks, especially when you think about, you know, hurricane IDAs and the more hurricane IDAs or weather impact events that we'll see on the grid. So I think these are the activities that we will see more of. One, one thing I think is interesting, though, and I think is, is critically important uh, to, to your question is, you know, this notion of uh, and focus on R&D, you know, research and development that helps us accelerate the clean energy technologies that we need to help us get to net zero by helping Let's get there faster and quicker. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about the, uh, have you heard of the um, the Low Carbon Resource Initiative? Um, yes, yes, I have.
0: Tell, tell us uh, how you're interacting with that. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think that's a really great example of R&D in, in work, where, where you have, you know, both the gas and electric industry, you've got EEI, DTI, EPRI, and a whole host of others mm-hmm. that are developing and demonstrating technologies that enable this low carbon future. And it spent, I think, over $100 million Uh, so far committed uh, to do that. But for me, though, it's it's, what's interested in this nexus between R&D innovation. This is where I think energy impact partners really comes into play, uh, working Mm. with utilities and other strategic partners to deploy capital venture dollars to actively shape that transition to a clean energy future. So Mm. these are the activities that I think that we'll need to see more of. And, And thankfully, I think utilities are well on the way in doing already.
0: So I'm really interested to learn more about what EIP is doing in this really complex space of subtle challenges we have in in decarbonizing. Can you talk a little bit about the role EIP is playing and how you got to, to doing this kind of work? Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think complex is the word. The energy industry is one of the most complex uh, industries in the world. So let me start by just level setting on EIP and what the Energy Impact Partners is. And I believe it's probably one of the most unique, probably best models in innovation in the energy in the energy industry. It was started back in 2015 by our general partner, Hans Kobler, who spent most of his time at GE Capital back in the day, really pioneering strategies for corporate venture capital investments. You know, he brought that model to the utility space, where he helped a lot of companies gain insights into emerging technologies, different business models, you know, working them to assist in identifying partners um, for new business models and strategies. So that model is brought to the utility space. Now EIP is one of the largest specialized investment firms with over 2 billion under management across a portfolio of over 60 investments that are really focused on the building blocks for the clean energy transition. You know, our investors include some of the world's largest utility partners, you know, and other strategics like Microsoft that are using their investments to, you know, usually to see what's coming around the corner you know, what's next in the horizon, ways to learn, but also actively shape that future uh, through through capital.
0: It's really interesting because, you know, when I think of the utility industry and and I know better, but I still think of sort of, you know, like big bureaucratic organizations that are hard to move, and so having venture capital focused on innovation and partnership and working with you know Microsoft and utilities, that's really really interesting, a different way of thinking about how we are we're coming together to tackle the energy transition. I also think of a um, venture capital as kind of an insider's game, and I would love for you to tell us a little bit about Elevate and what and and. How now we can make sure that we're bringing all of our best and brightest into the energy transition solutions and the work, Anthony, that you've been so passionate about, about bringing forward.
1: Thank you. You know The EIP platform, as we call it, is, is really one of the best ways, I think, to enable this transition. So just taking a step back on just the platform, what I mean by that, you know, the EIP takes a platform strategy to enable the impact that we want to make. So, We provide capital from early stage companies all the way to late stage IPO companies. And it's really underpinned by our really incredible research strategy and innovation team.
0: I'm really enjoying hearing about an industry, the utility industry that I think of as kind of, you know, big and bureaucratic, but now uh, partnering with venture capital to solve some of these most challenging decarbonization opportunities that we have in front of us. Can you talk a little bit more about just translate that into not only Uh, What all you do um, as EIP, what all your funds do, but I particularly would like you to get to the Elevate Future Fund um, because I want to make sure we're elevating, to use that word, more voices um, and the best and brightest talent into our decarbonization, R&D and innovation efforts.
1: Absolutely. You know, the Elevate Future Fund is one of the newest funds inside the EIP platform. We take a very, you know, platform strategy approach to enabling the impact that we want to make. And we do this through a couple of different funds inside of VIP. Uh, So we've got our our U.S. flagship fund and our Euro fund that's really focused, again, on the building blocks for energy transition. We've got a credit fund that leverages SBIC dollars to give certain companies more optionality and access to capital. We have a really unique specialized fund led by my colleague, Shell Khan, called the Frontier Fund. This fund is really focused on the really hard, you know, long tail efforts to decarbonize Mm. our world. And then you've got my fund, the the newest, the Elevate Future Fund, which is, you know, functionally supported uh, inside of EIP with the incredible research, strategy, innovation, and commercialization team that we have at EIP. But you can think of it as the S of the ESG, you know, with a hyper-focused mission on creating a more inclusive, more diverse and equitable clean energy future for underrepresented groups. You know, we are focused on providing capital to Black brown, Latinx, indigenous, you know, um, females, LBGQs, you know, what I call the underestimated class in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And we've got a lot of different ways that we're, we're tackling this issue as a whole.
0: Well, I'd like to, let's keep working on that idea because this is so important. And you've worked in utilities, Uh, and a number of executive positions. And for, for those utilities who are thinking about their role in building diverse and inclusive workforces, but also participating in building racial equity and justice out in the world, what is the role of EIP and the Elevate Future Fund in bringing utilities along? How do you imagine this playing out in its best form?
1: Yeah. So let me, let me maybe just address why I think this is important first. And I'll talk about, you know, why I think utilities are, Unique to position to uh, to play a role in this. And if you think about the last major transition that we saw in our country go back to the early '90s, this digital, you know, tech boom, you know, ultimately what you saw is really two parts of our country that really won out. You know, the East and West Coast, where you saw you know trillions and trillions of dollars of capital being deployed, and many underrepresented demographics and groups did not have a chance to fully participate in that shift. We look at this, you know, clean energy transition. You know, I think you know right now most estimates have pegged over seventy trillion dollars worldwide. capital that has void. and so on the Elevate Future Fund, we're taking a really holistic approach to addressing this notion of access to underrepresented groups. So, we'll be making direct investments through the fund uh, to entrepreneurs uh, that I mentioned earlier—the Black and Brown Latinx mm-hmm. uh, founders—but uh, also uniquely, we want to make sure that we're thinking through the rest of the underserved communities, the rest of America, so to speak, and then directing capital to support Tier One, Tier Two suppliers, uh, to utility suppliers. Uh, Industry that are enabling that clean energy transition. That's really, really important. That's part of our focus. And then, lastly, as part of the fund, we're going to be focused on funding other fund managers that look like me and other diverse founders, so that they're empowered uh, to make sure that you know they have that authority, decision-making ability uh, to write checks uh, for entrepreneurs and founders in their community. So that's that's really you know the, the parts and component of uh, of elevate. You know, so going back to your question about the role of the utility, you know, I do think mm-hmm. utilities are uniquely situated and positioned to enable this transition. And I think back to my time in the utility space, I spent over 20 years uh, there. One of the roles that I enjoy the most was working in economic and community development. Matter of fact, Mm. I remember when I first started, my boss at the time was a guy named Bob Howard, and he he would always tell me, he said, Anthony, if you were spending more than two consecutive days in the office, you weren't doing your job. Mm. And my job, my job at the time was to be in the community, is to work with Mm -hmm. local mayors, local county commissioners, industrial development boards and associations to better position communities uh, and regions for economic growth. Now, the good news is that most of these utilities in the country have these economic development functions already in their mm-hmm. organizations. As a matter of fact, these are some of the oldest business units uh, in utilities. The one I worked for at mm-hmm. Alabama Power, I think was started in 2013. Uh, I think it's one of the oldest in the U.S. So utilities have had these, what I call ready-made pathways for engagements in community. And, and they've used these pathways, these community engagement points, you know, in the past to promote growth, promote workforce mm-hmm. initiatives. And really, most importantly, to ensure that everyone has access to clean, safe, affordable, reliable energy. You know, that's part of the utility uh, interest component, social license to operate. The even better news, though, is that what we will do at EIP and, and Elevate is work closely with these utility partners to su- superimpose the venture capital framework in these pathways and show that venture capital can work in local underserved communities. You know, it can work to remove these barriers and demystify. You know, access to capital. Most people don't understand, you know, the venture capital space. I know I certainly didn't, uh, early mm-hmm. on, right? But we're going to, we're going to work very closely by utilizing these pathways. And part of that is to cultivate pipeline in different regions in the U.S. We're working closely with incubators, accelerators, working closely with HBCUs and other institutions and, and really ultimately to let founders and entrepreneurs know that great ideas can come from, you know, the black community can come from the Latinx communities that can come from different places that are not your typical Silicon Valley on areas that we've seen in the past. Again, you know, the goal. Goal here is to create a more diverse, inclusive and equitable clean energy future and have an opportunity for more groups and more people to participate in this new economy.
0: The 2021
1: shareholder proxy season held important lessons for oil and gas companies, with investors imposing new demands on targeted firms. What does all this mean for your company? Adam Ateen's latest white paper gives you our top line proxy season insights. Download it today at energythinks.com backslash papers. That's energythinks.com backslash papers. And now, back to the show.
0: Anthony, you're describing a kind of circular economy of elevating inclusivity and equity that I haven't considered before. And I'm just going to reflect it back to you and see if I'm getting the picture right, because it's so compelling. So a venture capital fund, which I think of as sort of antiseptic and removed from the world <laughs> when partnering with utilities can now connect directly into communities, which has not only potential workforce for utilities, but potential entrepreneurs and founders for uh, the Elevate Future Fund. But this also creates a kind of circle of, uh, of creating enduring prosperity in communities that may have been both underserved in the past, but also underrepresented in these tech and innovation fields. And so now you're creating these loops where you're going to have more and more exposure, more and more interest, more and more prosperity, um, where venture capital energy in the form Form of utilities, you know, literally empowering communities, and then communities getting to create more education and job op- and work opportunities within those communities. So I have never imagined this kind of beneficial loop forming with the infusion of capital. Um, am, am I getting a little rosy-eyed, or uh, <laughs> or no, I, can't I, I always think you have got it, rose-colored glasses? <laughs> but is this no. is this what you're imagining as well, or am I losing my mind?
1: <laughs> well, it's more than imagining. I think is what it is. You know, going back to this, you know, you know, notion of public service and public component and interest that utilities have, you know, utilities have, you know, have been serving these regions of, of the country for, you know, well over 100 years. And so I think, you know, for us, it is working to ensure that we are actively using capital to shape that, but, but you know, be more thoughtful than we have been in the past, you know, more, than, more thoughtful than we were certainly in the, in in, you know, the tech boom that we saw in the past and be more intentional about making sure that, you know, we are providing access to capital to folks that live in these communities and work with others to ensure that not only, again, there's a pipeline so that there are people who can actually work in this new economy, but also uh, have a hand Mm. in that actively shaping that. Mm,
0: Well, I really, I am enamored with this idea. I love the idea of creating enduring prosperities in communities through the clean energy transition. So open invitation to you to come back with those stories as this work continues. I want to keep exploring what this is going to look like like on the ground. Let me let me talk a little bit about different pressures you might be under because even venture capital has to report back to its ultimate investors. And Adam and Tina, we've been thinking a lot about how investor pressure is driving change. So in some cases you're the investor, but in some cases you have to report back to somebody else with your results. And we just did a shareholder uh, report on shareholder activism and how this is transforming the pressure that companies are under um, on on the E S and the G, but but very importantly on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'm just curious, like how does shareholder pressure affect you or how does your investor pressure affect the work that you do?
1: You know, great question. You know, EIP was built with ESG and impact. Uh, in mind. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why we have the word impact in our name. Yes. And, you know, it's been a focus for for quite some time, uh, really before it became really popular that you see now uh, in market. And then it's great that we have you know, a broader community of companies that are recognizing the need to do more in the climate and the environmental uh, space that we're in. And if you only look at the last 18 months, you can gauge this by the amount of capital that's been pledged to environmental and social yes. justice issues, which is fantastic. Now, I think for me, though, one of the things that really spoke volumes and ultimately was part of my decision-making process to join Energy Impact Partners and lead the Elevate Future Fund is that this wasn't solely a reaction to the unfortunate, you know, civil arrests that we saw in 2020. You know, our, our utility partners and our LPs, you know, have been working, you know, all the way till, you know, since 2019 to put the framework of what is now the Elevate Future Fund together. And so that was really important for me was to know that, you know, this effort started well before, you know, some of the prompting that we've seen. but more importantly is to is to make sure that you know this at least a signaled to me that this wasn't a performative you know exercise you know that we can mm. actually be proactive and making sure that access to capital to underrepresented you know groups and underserved communities is was made real we are reacting uh and thankfully being reacting sooner than most um but certainly there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done in addressing some of the more systemic issues as it relates to access and funding in the in the VC space which again let one me take that before.
0: yeah let me take that one step further with you yeah. um, because y- you have this perspective also as an investor to portfolio companies. And what I hear you saying is one of the reasons you went to EIP is because they didn't just get started on this work in 2020. They, they were building up to it. And we have been telling our companies who are just getting started, our clients, that this is enduring. This is, we're, we're looking at deep cultural shifts within the energy industry that are going to need to be responsible to diversity, equity and inclusion Within the company and within the communities within which we operate, as an investor, in what ways do you value the importance of this, or how do you think about it? Because we know the superficial ideas of like, oh, we have more kinds of different kinds of perspectives and thoughts at the table. But I'm really more interested in 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 why investors ultimately deeply value companies who are doing this work that they're investing in.
1: I think it's critically important when you think about just the what we're tackling. You know, the environment and climate change issues. We face, it impacts everyone and it's global. And, and more importantly, we also know that, you know, the low income communities and underserved communities really bear the brunt of some of the environmental and climate justice issues that we see day to so day. When you think about just, you know, diversity and a wider aperture of folks to come in, it's important. So we recognize, you know, early on, and, and again, you know, EIP was started back in 2015 on these ESG issues, that it will take a multiple, multitude of people with different backgrounds and different lenses to solve some of those issues. And more importantly, it also just makes good business sense. When you look at some of the the leading research that was done by McKenzie or Foundation or Boston Consulting Group and others, a couple of stats kind of really stand out to me. One is ethnically diverse teams return a higher multiple than all white executive teams. I think that's that's just an important nugget to know. Ethnically diverse teams outperform by 30% when they go public or when they're acquired. You know, women-led companies, this is really interesting, women-led companies perform three times better uh, on the S&P and employees diverse teams are 45% likelier to report growth in market share. So, So these are really important, you know, not only ways so we solve problems, but they just make good business sense. And one of the um, one of the companies that I think really exemplifies, you know, why we're doing it and what we're doing here is one of the investments that we recently made in uh, in Charger Health. Now, Charger Health is um, it's an EV charging station maintenance and service company. You know, think about you know all the charging mm. stations deployed now mm-hmm. and that will be deployed uh, in the near future. It's going to be a ton. And this company is supporting you know very important critical infrastructure uh, to enable this clean energy transition. It was uh, started by two African-American females, uh, Camille Terry and Yvette Ellis, who, um, and Camille is the CEO, of, uh, of charger help, and she is she's just fantastic. But what they've been able to do is is build something that's unique that I think really only came because of their their lived experiences. You know, as they were thinking about building this startup, they've integrated and embedded a workforce platform in the very start. Not only you know trains the workers who work on this EV charging station, but they also provide you know credentials and certification. And they do this at scale, and they're doing what I believe is probably you know what will be the gold standard for businesses build. In an inclusive green, green economy. I think that's a product of the types of investments that we're looking at. When you open that aperture wider and you allow more people to come in and incorporate their lived experiences into solving some of these problems, you know, I, I don't think you would have found you have found you know a typical found in Silicon Valley that would have done this engaging in the same way that uh, Camille and Yvette have done it and Charger Health. help.
0: So many that, that just brings up so many benefits of having a more diverse pool of founders and leaders and workforce, because if we're going to create these enduring transitions and enduring economic prosperity, you're really helping paint a picture of why of why the solutions have to be adaptable to the various lived experiences of all the communities within which we we work and we can't parachute in from some big city and solve um, and, and solve the energy transition. We have to be almost there. Has to be a bottom up component of understanding a huge array of energy challenges out, out in the world. So thank you for that example. That it, that offered a whole different paradigm for me to think about this transition and the role of various leaders are going to play in how we solve, solve these, these challenges. So speaking of sh- shifting paradigms, uh, Anthony, in the last year, you've taken on this really enormous career Transition, such an exciting and important role running the Elevate Future Fund. Can you talk about your values and your leadership style and how you're changing in real time to meet uh, the disruptions and opportunities of this moment.
1: No, thank you. You know, changing in real time is, is certainly the operative uh, way to look at it. And you know, I, I reflect often about the opportunity that I had to go to go to Harvard and study with Clay Christensen. And everybody knows Clay Christensen from the uh, the book he wrote, The Innovations Dilemma. But one of the books he actually gave me before I left the program was a book he wrote called How Will You Measure Your Life? And mm. when I think about the values that rank high for me, and you know what drives me today has really been honed by my lived experiences. You know, I think one from my father uh, and really where I've worked. I was born in New Jersey and my dad at the time worked at Bell Labs, And if you know Bell Labs, you know it was the epicenter for innovation. And most of the tech and innovations mm-hmm. that we uh, have uh, opportunity to interact with today can trace its roots back to, to Bell Labs. So my father was an engineer. He was a builder of things and he built things for people. And in the past, you know, almost 20 years working at Southern Company, where I was prior to coming to EIP, it really exposed me to really the important role of service. And, and and service at scale is really what led me to work on some of the educational efforts with uh, Ed Farm and Propel Center for HBCUs. Uh, me mm-hmm. starting up in the environmental tech company in Cloverly, and and what ultimately brought me to 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 the EIP family is this notion of service, but doing service at scale. And so, mm. this, you know, for me, the venture capital space and, and looking at some of the gaps that exist and the opportunity to lead a fund. That is, you know, has a really, you know, comprehensive, holistic approach to how we're making impact, not only investments, not only enabling the small businesses that need to take part of it, but also providing access to, to other funders was, was a great opportunity to, you know, to, to be of service in a different industry, yeah. but at a different scale. So I'm really, really fortunate to, to be part of the EIP family team.
0: Anthony, it's been so delightful to have the aperture of my understanding of the energy transition opened by this conversation that we've had today. Thanks so much for joining me on the Energy Things podcast.
1: Hey, thank you, uh, Tisha. looking forward to being back again soon.
0: I look forward to that, too. Keep those stories in mind and we'll look forward to having you back next time. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Anthony for taking the time to share his insights with all of us. And you know what was a game-changing insight for me? It was really this virtuous cycle that can be created by working with diverse communities, raising traditionally underrepresented voices into leadership positions and the energy transition and how this can really create an accelerated and just transition. I love this new viewpoint. I'd like to know what you found game changing. So check out energythinks.com backslash podcast and let me know. It would be amazing if you took a second and rated it. it helps other leaders in uh, oil and gas find our podcast. And I would like to thank Adon Rubio, Lindsey Gage, and Michael Tanner for doing all the work that makes the Energy Thinks podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.